Thank you, Miss Ann. If your Bibles are open to Proverbs 3, if you can put a marker there and turn to Joshua chapter 1. We are a few hours away, less than six hours away from a new year, 2024. I uh, heard a news article today. It, uh, they believe that the whole concept of, of uh, celebrating New Year's uh, began with Julius Caesar in four, six, uh, uh, 46 uh, years before Christ, 46 B.C., uh, he changed the whole calendar. That's why we run by what's called the Julian calendar, where they started the year on January the 1st uh, and so forth. And the, the whole idea uh, with him, not only was he reorganizing the Roman, uh, the early days of the Roman Empire, uh, but it was uh, this idea that we need to uh, have something to look forward to. We need to uh, reflect on the past, but look forward to the future. And so uh, for uh, 20 you know, or I'm sorry, 2,000 years now, uh, we've been celebrating around the world this concept of the new year. Uh, I, I don't know about you, I, I have some goals for the year to come. Next Sunday uh, in the evening, or in the morning service, we'll share Vision Sunday and some goals that I believe God would have us as a church uh, to undertake. Uh, but uh, we always look forward to the start of something new. We always look forward to it uh, in a very positive manner. And we're, we're hoping for the best, no matter what the last year was, our ups, our downs, our, our wins, our losses. There's, there's a part of this is always hoping, well, maybe this year will be better. And uh, we, we desire that. Um, I've gotten some cards, some emails. I've seen some things pop up on my Facebook page. People saying, wishing you a, a happy and a prosperous new year. And that's kind of the mentality that uh, most people uh, around the world are taking, uh, especially this evening as we look at that threshold. They're saying a million people are going to be in Times Square. Uh, they're already there. Uh, they've been down there for a million people crammed into that one place. Uh, I can't see that, that that sounds like a good time even a little bit. Uh, they've had some credible threats uh, from various groups uh, protesting the war in Israel and so forth. So security is high and metal detectors are everywhere. Um, I think I'll just uh, be real happy that I'm not there, that I'm here in God's house with God's people. But let's just consider a little bit this idea of a happy and a prosperous new year. Uh, the word prosperous is actually a Bible word. In, jo in Joshua chapter 1, uh, the Bible says in verse 7, this is the Lord speaking to Joshua, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only verse in the Bible in which the word success is found. Um, success is a, a modern-day term that is used over and over again. Uh, but God is telling Joshua here, he said, uh, I want you to be prosperous. I, I want you to succeed as you go forward. Now, in our 20th century mind, when we think of the word prosperity, what do we almost always think about? Yeah, we think about money. Uh, we think about, you know, a full bank account and a, and a new house and a new car and, you know, retirement plan and all of that. Uh, but that isn't at all what God was talking to Joshua about. 
We have no idea if Joshua ever amassed a fortune. We know that as the nation of Israel conquered the land of Canaan, they took the spoil of their enemies, but that was divided up amongst uh, several million people. So to the idea that any one person walked away and suddenly they were flush with cash uh, may or may not be an accurate picture. Uh, the idea of prosperity in the, in the word of God is to live victoriously. Uh, to accomplish with your life what God put you here to do. Uh, to make a forward progress in your walk with God. Uh, to mature in the things of God. To become a spiritually mature person. That's what the Bible is looking at when it looks at this idea of prosperity. Back in Proverbs chapter 3 with Brother Carson, uh, we read the uh, introductory words of Solomon to his son Rehoboam. And he is talking to his son about living a good life, living, if you will, that prosperous life uh, that God spoke to Joshua about. Again, glance at those first four verses with us. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. It's exactly what God told Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Uh, we need to understand biblically we're not going to be prosperous unless this Bible right here is the center of our lives. It, it's the key. It's the foundation of everything. And Solomon reiterates that same truth to his son. And here's what he tells his son and what happened to him. He said, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Length of days might mean a longer life. Uh, obviously, someone who wastes their life in, in uh, drunkenness and drug addiction, they're going to shorten their days. And uh, they're, they're going to live a life uh, much briefer than God intended for them. Um, there was a family in my home church that had a son who was exactly my age. Uh, we both graduated from Hemfield High School on the same night. It was a large graduating class. There were uh, uh, 922 seniors who received diplomas on the same night that I did. And uh, in that great crowd of people, I did not know that family at that time, so I did not know uh, their, their son. Uh, but he was my age. Upon graduating from high school, I went off to Bible college, and he went off to the West Coast. Uh, he went off to San Francisco uh, uh, to be specific on that, and there he embarked upon a life of drugs and alcohol uh, and immorality of the Sodom and Gomorrah type uh, lifestyle. And uh, when uh, I was starting my family, uh, he was lying on his deathbed afflicted uh, with, with AIDS. Uh, he came back home. He asked his parents if he could come home. Uh, they let him come home. That's their son. They loved him. Uh, they, he had told them uh, what had happened to him and so forth. And uh, while he was uh, in his final days, the pastor of my home church uh, went and visited him and, and led him to Christ. Um, and uh, before he passed away, uh, he, and, he and the pastor of my home church made a video, I remember showing it, uh, to a group of high school seniors in the Christian school that I, I taught at. And uh, he, he shared the, the story of his life. Um, and uh, he, uh, he just admonished them. He said, don't get fooled by the, the, the things of this world. It's, it's not what the world's telling you. He said, the best thing that I could have ever done was to have listened to my parents, to have listened at church, 
to have trusted Christ as my Savior, if I'd have made different choices, I would not be on my deathbed today. And uh, at the age of about 30, um, he passed away and stepped out into eternity. Now, I'm thankful for God's grace. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, God gave him other chances, and I'm, and I'm glad that, that he trusted Christ as his Savior. But I don't think for a moment that that was God's plan for his life. Do you? Uh, God, uh, Solomon's telling his son, saying, look, you take to heart the teachings of this book. Uh, you bind them about you. You take them to heart, he said, in length of days and long life. And those two phrases together uh, give us the idea, not just a longer life or a life that is not shortened by wrong living, but a full life, a life that's worth living, a life that's worth getting up every morning and looking forward to. Um, he said, that's what it'll add to. He said, uh, peace, verse number two, shall they add to thee. Peace, that assurance that it is well with my soul. Uh, that awareness of the presence and the power and the protection and the provision of God, uh, that peace. He said, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. That's our dealings with other people. Uh, to be honest and at the same time to be kind and merciful to others. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. The word favor is used in the Old Testament over and over again. It means grace. It means grace. It means God working in your life. It means God doing for you and I what we cannot do for ourselves. Uh, that individual that applies the teaching Solomon's giving to his son is going to find the grace of God readily available. Anna just sang that beautiful song for us again tonight. Uh, his daily all-sufficient grace. Um, Paul learned out in his uh, most difficult moments, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And uh, uh, Solomon writes to his son, he said, you apply this book to your life and you'll find the grace of God uh, in your life and good understanding in the sight of God and man, a testimony, a reputation. By the way, we all have a reputation. We all have a testimony, whether it's good or bad. And our testimony is of our own making and of our own choosing. You cannot expect to live an ungodly life and have a godly testimony. You cannot expect to treat people badly and have a good testimony. It does not work that way. Uh, Solomon would later tell his son in this same book uh, that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. Um, that, that good testimony is an important thing. And Solomon says to his son, you listen to what I'm saying and you will have a life worth living. You will have a walk with God that is worth having and you'll have a testimony that is, that is more valuable than anything that you could buy with silver and with gold. In the next few verses, beginning at verse number five, and if you will, groups of two, Solomon talks to his son about some very basic things that are part of this prosperous life. This life that is going to bring length of days, uh, fullness of days, the peace of God, the grace of God, this good testimony in our lives. And just, uh, just very simply tonight, I, I would like to direct our attention to these verses and consider them as we ourselves look at our own future, uh, what we're going to do with the new year to come. And here's some wise advice for us on how to have a prosperous new year. Look, first of all, at verses 5 and 6. We could probably quote them. Some of us can sing these verses together. Trust in the Lord 
with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The first thing Solomon instructs us about is trust the Lord's leadership in your life without question and without doubt. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. It is amazing we'll trust what we hear on the news. We will trust some business advisor. We will trust uh, the words of a friend or something like that. But when it comes to trusting Almighty God, we have a tendency to find that hard to do sometimes. Uh, Solomon tells his son, just trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't hold back. Uh, Don't doubt him. Lean not to your own understanding. God's not always going to lead us in a way that makes perfect sense. He's not always going to give us the answers and tell us in advance how things are going to work out. But you can always trust in the Lord. Psalm 37, we find the same teaching, trust in the Lord and do good. Just trust in the Lord without question and without doubt. And you will find out that God will take care of you, that you can safely trust in the Lord. On the road to Damascus, as Saul of Tarsus had his encounter with the Lord Jesus, He had some questions. His first one was, who art thou, Lord? He wanted to know who was speaking. The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul's very next question was, uh, the Bible says he trembling and astonished and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Um, He didn't know when he got up from his knees that day on the road, uh, on the dirt of that road, that he was going to be blind. He had no idea how long he was going to remain that way, if it was temporary or permanent. But he asked the most important question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Follow Paul's life as we've been doing in the book of Acts. And you'll find out that that was pretty much how he lived his life. Lord, what will you have me to do? Not, Lord, not what will make my friends happy or uh, what will make me happy, but Lord, what will make you happy? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And Paul walked through all all of his life and found out that God never let him down. God never led him wrong. God never led him astray. He found that he could safely trust in the Lord. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. This is one of Paul's prison epistles. He's not in a good place, if you will, uh, economically or physically. He's in the Roman uh, prison. Um, and it is, a, it is a jail cell from which he will only get out one more time, and that is to go to the arena and lay down his life for Christ. But he writes in this amazing little uh, prison letter, he says in verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want. The man, the man was in prison, and it wasn't an air-conditioned place with cable TV and a weight room. Uh, it was a place that oftentimes if, if friends or people on the outside didn't bring you food, you could starve to death. Uh, It was cold, it was rat and disease infested. And yet Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want. I'm I'm not finding myself needing anything for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, that means to be put down, to do without. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Sadly, most of us can only be happy if everything's going our way. 
We can only be happy as long as we've got food and we've got, uh, we got a good paycheck coming in and the car's running and everybody's healthy. Uh, and, and pretty much we, we, you know, we're, we're uh, living on top side. And uh, for a lot of people, that's the only time they can be happy. Paul said, it really doesn't matter if I'm hungry or if I just had a feast. He said, I'm good. I'm content. And it didn't come natural. He said, I've learned these things. In my walk with God, with God, I've just found out he can enable me to, to get through any particular situation. He said, I don't worry about it anymore. I don't stress about it anymore. Um, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. For, uh, Solomon's first advice to his son, trust the Lord's leadership without question or without doubt. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. One of the greatest examples of a man who was able to do this was Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah waited decades for the fulfillment of a promise that she would bear a son through whom the Messiah would one day come. When Abraham was 100 years of age, God kept that promise. Sarah was 90. He was 100 when Isaac was born. Time went by, and most scholars think that Isaac is now a 15, 16-year-old young man. And I'm sure for Abraham in his old age, just every moment he spent with his son was one of great joy. It was a reminder that God always keeps his word. You can safely trust the Lord. And then God did something unexpected. Verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. That word means to test or to try Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. What an amazing commandment from God. Take your son, your only son, the one you waited for, the son that you love, go to one of the mountains of Moriah, I'll, I'll let you know which one when you get there, and I want you to offer your son as a burnt sacrifice to me. That, that, that just doesn't make any sense. He promised him this son. He kept repeating that promise for decades. It was fulfilled in a time of uh, old age for both Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Uh, so it was a miracle child in every way. And now God says, offer him for a burnt offering for me. Years ago, one of the networks uh, did a series of uh, movies and videos uh, about the Bible and I remember watching the episode they did uh, about Abraham and this commandment he received from the Lord and that journey of three days uh, up to the mountain of Moriah. And in the movie, they, they pictured Abraham arguing with God um, and sort of muttering under his breath. And, and in the moments, no one was else around, uh, no one else is around. Lord, this, just, this isn't fair. You promised me this son. What am I going to tell Sarah uh, when I come back without him and so forth? And it, it, it showed Abraham wobbling in his faith and all of that. But that is the exact opposite of what Abraham was. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that he accounted that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. 
Abraham didn't go up there questioning God and God, this doesn't, this isn't fair. And, and if I, I thought you loved me and, and I thought you gave me, there was none of that with him. There was a quiet confidence in that man that said, Lord, I've learned I can trust you. I've learned that you always keep your word. And if that's what you want me to do, then evidently you're going to raise Isaac from the dead because you told me in Isaac shall my seed be called. Do you realize that Abraham went up there onto that mountain? He, he got the stones and built the altar and laid the wood out. They had the fire there and so forth. And when his son said, Father, here is the wood and, and, and here is the fire, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham didn't even bat an eye. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, a prophetic utterance if there ever was one. And he, he fully intended to follow through on that without any doubt whatsoever. Now you think about what God was asking Abraham to do. I'll be honest, in my life, God's never asked me ever to do anything that dramatic or that costly. But Abraham's one of those men that learned, I can trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. God will direct my path. And Solomon says, you want to be prosperous, my son. That is the way you need to live your life with the Lord. Trust the Lord's leadership without question or doubt. That does not mean that we don't have questions. It just means those questions aren't going to stop us from obeying God. Those questions aren't going to cause us to lose our joy. It's not going to cause us to backslide or gain a bad spirit because we always trust that God is always good. Verse number seven of Proverbs chapter three. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. First of all, Solomon told his son, trust the Lord's leadership without question or doubt. Number two, he tells his son, stay humble and stay holy. Stay humble and stay holy. Be not wise in thine own eyes. In our adult Sunday school class, we have been studying for some months now the book of Judges. We're almost to the end of that. Uh, we have found that the theme of the book of judgment, Judges is every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We know from the book of Proverbs, it states it twice, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. To be wise in my own eyes is to, to say, well, I know the Bible says, but. To think that I know better than God. That, that my plan is just as good, if not better than God's. Or that I can disobey God and somehow it's no big deal that God will bless me anyhow. That's being wise in mine own eyes. Solomon warns his son, don't do that. Of course, Rehoboam, he didn't put that into practice, did he? Uh, when, when his first test of, of kingship came along, uh, he rejected the counsel of the wise men who gave him godly counsel. And he, he uh, leaned on the understanding of all the friends he grew up with that never built anything in their entire lives and he destroyed his own kingdom. Stay humble and stay holy. Listen very carefully. God has no use or patience with a know-it-all. How many have run into know-it-alls? They come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all ages. God has no time for a know-it-all. None whatsoever. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. That's the one that's wise in their own eyes, but giveth grace unto the humble. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 
repeats the same statement. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Uh, I remember one day I was working with Sam. We're going back a couple years ago. He was still training uh, over at the edge in Meriden. And uh, we were out on the floor, and I think we were doing bench press that day. And uh, there was a, a, a young fellow there and a pretty, pretty well-built guy, uh, probably in his 20s, uh, maybe early 30s, something like that, working out. And uh, Sam just uh, quietly said, I want you to just uh, nonchalantly turn around and take a look at the guy, and he described the, the, the shirt that the guy was wearing. Just take a, a look. And so I tried to be, you know, uh, real, real slick about that and look without looking. And uh, the, the guy was doing a particular movement, and Sam said, do not ever do what that guy's doing. He said, I've tried to help him. I've, I've seen him do that before, and I've tried to warn him that he is going to blow out his shoulder. That is, that is one of the most unhealthy things that you can do. He said, and the guy just brushed me off, didn't need it. Um, wise in his own eyes. It's interesting. Uh, it was about a month or two later I came in, and that same guy had that same shoulder in a sling. So I asked him what happened. Oh, I blew my shoulder out, had to have surgery and all of that. And I'm thinking, hmm, Sam told me about you. Uh, it comes in all walks of life. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Um, and, and, and again, God, God has no patience with that. Turn to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. When Israel clamored for a king, the Lord chose the man who would hold that title for the first time. And it was a young man by the name of Saul. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul stood head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the kingdom. He would have been tall like uh, Brother Rob or maybe a few of you other guys. Um, and he stood out for his height. But um, in spite of his physical stature, he was, uh, he was a man of great humility. On his coronation day, they couldn't find him. Uh, he wasn't standing at the front ready. Hey, lay that crown on me. I'm ready to take this. The Bible said he had hidden himself uh, by the carriage or where they, they, you know, everybody put all their suitcases and, and stuff like that. And, and, and he was just sort of hiding there, hoping nobody would find him uh, and so forth. And, and he was this guy that didn't think he was up to the task. It wasn't rebellion on his part. It was really an honest humility. I, I just, I, boy, I just don't see that I could be king. But he yielded anyhow and, and was anointed to be a king. And then three years went by. And Saul got some victories under his belt. Saul got to the place where he didn't need the preacher anymore. He was smarter than the preacher. And Samuel would give him a message from the Lord. And Saul would just go out and do his own thing. Um, and uh, it happened more than once. And God realized with great sadness that I can't bless this man anymore because Saul has become a know-it-all. And so the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, it was one of those moments where the preacher had come along and told uh, Saul, given him some instructions about uh, defeating and destroying the Amalekites once and for all. And, and Saul thought he had a better plan uh, on all of this. Verse number 16, then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell, we, tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, remember he stood head and shoulders taller than everybody, but in his own mind, he wasn't looking at his physical stature. 
He did not see himself as important at all. When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. He's being rebuked from the preacher, from the prophet Samuel. And he said, when you were little in your sight, God exalted you. That's the way that it always works. Um, he said, but, but God gave you a command and you didn't do that. He's actually giving Saul an opportunity, if you will, to repent. And Samuel, I'm sorry, verse 20, and Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Well, no, he didn't. He saved all the best of the sheep and oxen. He saved the king alive. Uh, and he was told to destroy all of those things. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And it brought Agag, the king of um, uh, Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoiled sheep and oxen. It's, it's their fault. They did that. It, it, it wasn't me. No, it was him. And now he's making excuses for himself. He refused to be corrected. And uh, God's going to take him off the throne. And God's going to replace him with a man after his own heart. Um, again, uh, God has no, no patience, no use for a know-it-all. And so Saul, uh, Solomon tells his son, stay humble and stay holy. And you might want to mark this down. If we do not stay humble, it is guaranteed we will not stay holy. Because the moment we start thinking we got all the answers and we know better than our parents and we know better than the preacher and we know better than the Bible, uh, that's when we're headed off into destruction just as sure as King Saul uh, did the same thing. Stay humble and stay holy. Back in Proverbs chapter 3 one last time. Look at verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Honor the Lord with thy substance. He said, first of all, trust the Lord's leadership without question or doubt. Number two, stay humble and stay holy. Number three, honor the Lord by giving him the very best of your time, your talent, and your treasures. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Don't, don't give God the leftovers. Don't give God after you've done uh, all, all the stuff you wanted to do and you see what's left to see, okay, maybe I can give God some of that. Uh, it's give God the first fruits. Give, give him the very best of what you have. And it says, honor the Lord. When you do that, you're showing God that he is worthy. You're, you're showing uh, the, the Lord, I, I believe that, that you deserve my very, very best, that you are a good God and you are an awesome God. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Give him the best of your time, your talent, and your treasures. Turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 1. If you read your Bible through this year, you should have read this either yesterday or possibly today. This is our final Old Testament reading. Malachi, chapter number one. God has instructed his prophet to write to the children of Israel. And he says in verse number six, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. Ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? 
Verse 7, ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. Um, they were to, there was a, in the, the temple a, a table called the table of showbread, about the size of our, our Lord's Supper table that sits out in the hallway. It was overlaid in gold. And uh, the priest would bring in on a periodic basis fresh hot loaves of bread. Uh, they, were, they were made by a specific recipe that God gave in the book of Exodus. Uh, they, they had special spices and anointing oils placed upon them. Uh, it pictured Jesus Christ as the bread of life. And the priests, as they went about their duties through the course of the day, were supposed to take some of that bread and, and partake of it uh, uh, periodically through the day. Um, but the, God says to them in verse 7, ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. We're not sure what the bread was, but it wasn't the way God said it was to be made. Maybe it was made with barley or rye rather than the finest of wheat. It was called polluted bread. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the temple of the Lord is contemptible. Uh, I'm sorry, the table of the Lord is contemptible. God it doesn't matter whether we put good bread or bad in there. God's not eating it. We're the ones eating it. And uh, it, it's, it's not worth obeying God over. If you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? They weren't allowed to do that. Uh, every lamb they offered was a picture of the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world uh, without spot, without blemish. So you bring a, a blind or a lame animal in, you're defying the word of God, you're dishonoring God. Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Um, here they were, they were giving God what they didn't want. They were giving God leftovers. They were giving God less than their best. And, and God said, I got a controversy with you. He said, he said I, I, I'm, not, I'm not accepting that. Most of you know that my wife was a bargain shopper. Uh, my kids and I have regular conversations about that. And uh, it, it, it's not very many weeks that go by and one of them will find a deal on something and say, oh, mom would have been so proud of me. You know, I got this at 60% off and then I had another coupon and all that kind of stuff. And uh, she instilled that in, in all of the kids and I think they're trying to work that into the grandkids and so forth. Uh, but every now and then that wasn't the best plan, especially when it came to grocery shopping. Uh, most, most grocery stores will have somewhere, uh, you'll, you'll find it towards the back of the store. There'll be a rack there, uh, and it's got the stuff that they're getting ready to get rid of, the clearance stuff. Now, if it's canned goods or something like that, it's just a dented can, that's one thing. But if it's bread and you have to cut the green stuff off, not, not quite. One time when we lived in Pennsylvania, um, she, uh, she saw uh, back in the meat department, they had a clearance bin in the meat department. And um, she got some liver on the clearance rack. And when she cooked it up, it had a green film on it. Guess how many of us ate that? Anna, do you remember that? She does, it changed your life, didn't it? Yeah, we don't eat liver from the, that point on. And, uh, you know, it, it had this funny kind of smell to it. 
And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Trina, I don't mind if you, you get a dented can of tomatoes or something like that. Uh, that's one thing. But um, we're not going to eat rancid meat, okay? Spend the extra buck ninety-nine and get the stuff that was maybe cut today than the stuff that they're going to throw out yesterday, that type of thing. God said to his people, he said, he said, would you offer this kind of junk to the governor of your land? He goes, actually, you wouldn't. You're trying to impress him. You're going to put your very best food out there, but you'll give me your junk. Um, Solomon told his son, honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. Um, that's where the blessing of God's going to come from, uh, come in our lives. He said, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I learned about tithing uh, when I was a young Christian in my home church. Uh, my pastor had taught us, uh, if you're in Malachi still, turn to Malachi chapter number three. Uh, this was another one of the rebukes the Lord had for his own people at that time. Uh, look, please, uh, in verse number eight. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Again, when I was a new Christian in my home church, my Pastor Nitz uh, taught us about tithing, and the tithe is the tenth. Uh, the tithe is the Lord, and I understood that from the word of God, and that concept uh, was uh, a practice in my life from my teenage years. So uh, I learned when I got my, my first paychecks, and they weren't very big. Uh, minimum wage was $1.25 uh, back in the good old days. Uh, but 10% of that went to the Lord. And uh, uh, Trina and I kept that up in our married life and so forth. Um, it wasn't, believe it or not, until I came to this church uh, that I encountered the, the uh, concept of faith promise giving. Uh, none of the churches that ever been did that. Every church supported missionaries, uh, but supported them out of the general fund and so forth, and nothing wrong with that. But it was here I got acquainted with the idea of faith promise, above and beyond the tithe. That's what's called offerings here, tithes and offerings. And uh, so uh, Trina and I early on decided we were, we were just going to be a part of that. And uh, we would pray about it before every missions conference. Uh, we would start praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? How, how much do you want us to give on a weekly basis or whatever uh, to, the, to faith promise missions? We always enjoyed that time because at the end of missions conference, when it was time to fill out that little card and turn it in, uh, usually Sunday afternoon, we would have our conversation. So did the Lord lay a number on your heart? And I would say, yeah, how about you? She said, yeah. And so uh, uh, I would tell her, this is what God told me. She said, wow, that's amazing. That's the exact same number that God gave me. By the way, when we're sincerely praying about something as a family, as a church, God's not going to lead half the church in one direction and half the church in the other. Um, there's one God. Um, and, and he's a unified God. So if we're all sincerely praying for the will of God, he's going to show us all the same thing. Does that make sense? That happened year after year after year for us. And uh, as, the, as, as time went by, uh, we just uh, saw the Lord increasing uh, that which we gave to the Lord. Um, and we also saw that God kept his promises to us. 
And uh, here I am 25 years later, and I'm just seeing how good God has been, how God has provided uh, needs above and beyond. And uh, we'll have missions conference coming up this March. And uh, what I get is really none of your, n- nobody's business. It's just between me and the Lord. Uh, but uh, a couple of years ago, my faith promise mission exceeded my tithe. I will give you that much. I, I ought to lead by example. Um, and, and I enjoy uh, being able to do it. I, I have a, a, a habit. If, I, if the Lord brings me extra money for some reason, birthday money or something like that, I find a buck on the sidewalk or whatever, I tithe of that and I put it in, in, in the missions. Uh, and uh, you won't believe what I got to give the Lord today. And I'm excited about that. You say, aren't you worried about that? I mean, isn't that your hard-earned money? Look, I'm not in love with George Washington, Ben Franklin, or Abraham Lincoln. They are not my best friends. Jesus is. Uh, And all of those things are just a means to an end. Uh, Honor the Lord with thy substance. Um, The Bible said that the Lord loveth a, what kind of a giver? Cheerful giver. Do you know where the word cheerful, if if you study the root word out, it means God loveth a hilarious giver. To where it's like, I can't believe I get to give this to God. This is so cool. Um, I want to be that kind of a giver. Um, Solomon's talking to his son. He said, I'm talking to, about how you can have length of days and long life, uh, a, a full life. I'm talking about how you can have the peace of God ruling in your heart and life. I'm talking about how you can experience the grace of God on a daily basis. Talking about how you, son, can have a testimony that's worth having. Trust in the Lord without question or doubt. He's going to lead us as individuals. By the way, God's going to lead us as a church to step out on faith, to take on some new challenge, some new task. The tendency is going to want to be to take a step back. Well, are, are you really sure about that? Do you realize how good God's been to us here, church? Do you realize how good? Please shut your phone off. Um, do, you, do you realize... Uh, in, in the, the last 25 years, we put a new roof on this building. We put a new roof on the school building. We put a new parking lot in. We put a new lobby on. We just put a new boiler on, and we paid cash for all of it. Do you realize that we didn't have to go to a bank anywhere and take out a loan and get into, go into debt? Uh, God took care of all of that. Um, isn't that an amazing God? Do you suppose we can trust that God? Now, you say, what's God got for us next year? Come next Sunday, I'll tell you about that. Uh, but it's time to move forward. It's not time to just sit back and, 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 and coast for a little while. I think we've been doing that way too long. I want to see God's blessing on my life, on my family, on our church. Are we willing to trust the Lord without question or doubt? As God brings us through storms and situations, maybe that we didn't anticipate, are we willing to keep on trusting him? I have no idea what 2020 holds or 2024 holds. It might be 2020 2.0. You know, there are some years that just ought to be left to the dustbin of history, sort of like the, the fashions of the 70s need to stay there. Uh, we have no idea. We have a world that's at war. We have a world that is imploding. We have a culture that is shaking its fist in the face of Almighty God and, and you got to understand, God's not going to just let that go on forever. God's going to deal with that. But I know this much, God still knows those that are his. God is able to take care of us. God is able to provide. Are we willing to trust him? Trust in the Lord without question or doubt. Stay humble and stay holy. Stay humble 
and stay holy. Honor the Lord. He's deserving of the best of our time and our talent and our treasures. God says in his word in more than one place, these are the qualities that bring about success and real prosperity. The question is, are we willing to trust the Lord to put that into practice? Can I ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes tonight?